Voyage of the Geek for another week, episode two of our deep dive into the 1981 Disney uh, foray into the hero genre uh, with Condor Man, something that's Condor a, Man, Condor Man, Condor Man. I love being It's uh, something that's dear to uh, some of the members of the uh, of the panel, uh, which you'll probably realise as we move forward. Uh, joining me as always, Rick Legato. Tom McGill, Dan Miller, my name's Dave Scotland, and uh, this is episode two, as I've mentioned, and in this episode, we're going to uh, spend a bit of time on the lost sofa with Rick Legato, who's going to take us into a different perspective of the of the narrative for this film, where we look at it more from a writer's perspective. Nick is a, uh, Rick, not Nick, Rick is an accomplished writer and uh, definitely sees the, wor- the world through that lens, and Tom's going to uh, expose us later on in the show to Just the Tip, uh, where we look at some trivia and some uh, some behind-the-scenes information that uh, that uh, not a lot of people uh, are privy to. It's the sort of stuff that gets us ner- nerds uh, excited. So uh, without wasting any more time, let's get into uh, a little bit of time on The Lost Sofa. everyone from your bunkers during this fine pandemic apocalypse welcome to the covid nine was it covid 19 19 yes oops we're up to 19 19 we've been thrown through so many covids um coming to you from our individual bunkers because with us there's no distance enough for social (laughs) distancing Anyway, um, yes, The Lost Sofa. This is where I talk about the writers and the writing and sort of a a peek into the writing room. And today we're looking at Condor Man uh, from old, the olden days, 1981. Um, It's an interesting one as far as writers are concerned. Um, It is actually, as um, the credits have an unusual re- reference to the um, original material. And they say inspired by, not based on, mm-hmm. not an adaptation of, okay. but inspired by. Not, um, and it's inspired by a novel or a sh- short story called, I'm not sure if it's a short story or a novel called The Game of X. Oh. By Robert Sheckley. I like that title. Who was actually quite a uh, accomplished writer, but we'll get back to him in a minute. Okay. Um, but it's interesting that it says inspired by. I don't know if that's a legal thing. I, that's what I was going to ask. Is it normally indicate that uh, they sort of borrowed some concepts but didn't really pay for them? Um, <laughs> or weren't willing I, to pay for them? Um, I imagine they couldn't have got away with that. Not not with the Writers Guild in America. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Robert Sheckley, um, as I'll talk about later, is too big a writer mm-hmm. to establish a writer. To okay. have, I imagine to have let that go. I think it's. I don't know who it's there to protect, um, but apparently the film is loosely based on his story. Okay. And I don't know if that's them covering their ass or it's Robert Sheckley going look. My book's much better than that. Well, now I'm, now I'm keen to find out what his book's all about. I'd love to see how yeah. loose. Yeah. I, I, I haven't read it, but there you go. So I think that's an interesting beginning. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the actual screenplay was by a gentleman by the name of Mark Sturvid, um, who I'd never heard of before. Um, and he doesn't have many writing credits. Um, in fact, there's not a lot about him um, that I could find. Um, his other writing credit is for a 1970s gritty cop detective show, which I used to actually love, me and my dad used to watch, called Beretta. Ah, Beretta, yes. Um, yes. I had the, had the actor Robert um, someone or other. Mitchum? Yeah, uh, no, it wasn't Mitchum. It was uh, Blake. Blake? Bl- might have been. Mm. Yeah, had a I, really I remember that feel. I can almost re- recall the, the theme music. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was one of those iconic 70s sort of gritty. Yeah, um, like Streets a, of San Francisco. Uh, yeah. Yeah, police story, yeah. those sorts of things, yeah. Yeah, he wrote, um, by the looks of it, um, TV series, ep- teleplay, uh, one episode... And that was called the sister ain't no cousin. So anyway, <laughs> and that was uh, four years before, well, four years before um, Condor Man came out. Uh, most of his credits are for actually, um, he's got a few producing credits, but most of his credits are actually for second unit director or assistant director or sort of second director somewhere there. Um, and the one that caught my eye um, is that in the early 2000s, he did a lot of um, first assistant director for the TV series Frasier. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that show's well written too, so that's pretty yeah. – that's kudos. Uh, well, that's not him writing. That's him just being first assistant director. Oh, okay. Yeah, he actually, yeah, and he actually wrote two things. That was the episode of Beretta and Condor Man. I got you. And this is not Sheckley. <clears throat> this is no. the guy that actually did the adaptation the that was play. based yeah. on. Okay. I'm just looking at a paragraph here. The Game of X, the, the Sheckley, actually wrote the novelized version of Condor Man. Ah, did he? Yeah, yeah. Because I went looking for Game of X and it says, um, the Game of X loosely adapted um, as the 1981 Disney film, Condor Man. Sheckley also wrote the novelization of this film. Ah, so he had to write the novelization of the film based on his book. Yeah. So he wrote Game of X first, then the movie comes out and then he writes writes another version. So one would think that they've probably done it in collaboration, yeah? But he didn't want to have a credit on the film maybe or something. My understanding, I I got a a brief sort of synopsis of the, what is it, the Game of X? Mm. Yeah. The idea with the Game of X is that uh, a civilian person has to do a little quick spy mission, but then after they do the spy mission, the person who, you know, they get roped into doing another spy mission. That's the story of Game of X. Yep. That's the story. But there's no Condor Man. There's no flying yeah. things. There's no superhero there's no stuff going on. Super, yeah, yeah, superhero games. Yeah, the, synopsis, the quick synopsis that I, I'm looking at says it's a spy-tangled novel of undercover misadventure that goes from Paris to Venice yes. with semi-professional killers. Mm. Mm. As opposed to Condor Man, which had dedicated killers. Combines ironic. This one has semi professional right. ones. Combines <laughs> ironic wit with suspense to remarkable effect. Is, is so a, there, there you go. Feedback. And what I think is, is remarkable about it is that the guy who wrote the screenplay hadn't written anything, anything. else before. <laughs> no. And nothing after. And no, the guy he, that he, did the uh, intro. He, he wrote one episode of Beretta before. Sorry, yes, he'd done one thing before. Yeah. So, so it's like, like Disney uh, brought a bunch of rookies in for this one because yeah, what, what I got a feeling of? Michael Crawford hadn't been in a major film since, I like, uh, mm-hmm. what was it? Um, Hello, Dolly, which would have been mm-hmm. probably 20 years earlier, 15 years earlier, when he was almost a kid. He would have only been 20 years old, I think. Yeah. Sorry, Rickers, go for it. Yep, no, no, that's that's great. I'm, I'm glad you guys are filling in there because um, I'm up to my ears in marking mm-hmm. and surviving the pandemic with a three-year-old. Um, so I haven't done my normal um, due diligence. So you're filling in nicely. 
Hmm. Um, the audience won't know. <laughs> well, they will now, Nobody but I'll edit this out. No, that's all right. Nothing if not honest on this show. <laughs> nice. Anyway. So that's in, so that's an in, I thought that was kind of in, interesting. Like you said, um, obviously maybe his passion wasn't with writing, or um, people kind of went, "Yep, uh huh." Next, his skill wasn't with yeah. writing. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. Now, Robert Sheckley, on the other hand, um, like, um, and this has happened, I think, with just about every ep- ep- movie we've seen so far this year, um, is. He was, there's always a established novelist somewhere there in the mix. Mm-hmm. Even in the last film, we had Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and in the other ones, we had, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was actually quite a Hugo Award-winning writer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Sheckley is no different. In fact, he has been nominated for Hugo and Nebula Awards. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, he only passed away well, contempt- comparatively recently in 2005. Mm. Mm. So he had a quite a long career. Um, he was an American writer, um, and just like all the other writers so far that we've come across, um, he was first published in science fiction magazines in the 1950s. So he um, paid his dues writing sh- short stories. Um, he might have. Um, he might have known. Uh, who's the Scientology guy? Wasn't he uh, the Ron Hubbard? L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, that's they it's, all cut their. There yeah. was so many of them cut their teeth around that yeah. time in those science fiction uh, uh, tabloid type science fiction yeah. Uh, yeah, the short pulps. story yeah. pulps. Yeah. Um, and I've got here a nice quote. Um, his numerous quick-witted stories and novels were famously unpredictable, absurdist, and broadly comical. Yeah, nice. That's a good. Um, I think that's a pretty cool formula. Unpredictable, yeah. um, absurd, and and comical. Yeah. You know. um, and I can see, um, like I said, I haven't read the Game of X, but I can imagine that he probably did have a you know slapstick, bumbling civilian who was a bit over keen. Mm. Um, and uh, so I can see um, if imagining or speculating that's his style that his story would have been a little bit out there a little bit funny mm. and i guess would have lent itself quite nicely to becoming condor man makes you wonder that if instead of an american production company and a uk based production company mm. had gone along the same pathway that the pre-production for this film was and instead of the cia it was mi5 then obviously yeah. Michael Crawford is the right person for the role. Yeah, yeah. he's the perfect yeah. pommy actor to be yeah. slapstick, physical, out, out yeah. you know, out there, mm. all that sort of stuff. Perfect for the role. Um, but but for some reason they shoehorned it into an American. It's almost like they potentially might have developed it for that pathway and then de- deviated at some point and turned it into a CIA sort of American thing uh, probably because Disney were the ones that had all the money mm-hmm. um, I've often wondered because his accent is problematic in this film isn't it? Yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> problematic you mean terrible <laughs> it's, pretty um, bad. it's pretty bad it's so American isn't it? <laughs> I mean that's what I was thinking I was thinking through the whole movie why are they just making him a pom yes. and then he, he they yes. can just say he's an artist he's, he could have been a pom he's yeah. living in America and he's yeah. I don't know yeah. different time um, isn't it? I actually comic book artists I think had to be Americans yeah because that's where yeah. the big American you uh, had to be American everything you like yeah. um, it, it was not just about having the victory you had to have the American victory you had to and, know, I, and also you know would they want a foreigner to be the hero in an American yeah. tale because yeah. technically it's an American story and then you have a foreigner being a hero which is just not Right. Yeah. Um, and I actually wondered about the casting myself. I wondered because um, I actually asked on Facebook, an American friend of mine, about some mothers do have them, and they have no idea. Mm. It wasn't mm. a, an American thing. Didn't make it over no. there. It's a, they would have recognised him from Hello Dolly. That's all. Yeah. That's all they would have known him from was, so was Hello Dolly. W- that's a, a very UK Australian thing. Because um, obviously we get a lot of the UK shows here, um, so I suspect maybe the casting because 
he did the slapstick bumbling character but they didn't have to worry about casting against type with him because the Americans didn't know him. Mm. Yep. And I wonder if that was their thinking behind it. And they may have pivoted away from an, a UK based. Um, yeah. This guy's very uh, James Bond, isn't he? Because it's gadgets. Yeah. It's it's very gadget mm. sort of related. Um, probably if you were to compare him to a superhero, it'd be Batman, wouldn't he? Um, he has no super yeah. superpowers. It's just really gadgets that. Yeah. that give him his power yeah. well he's but, kind of like maxwell smart yeah, actually yeah yeah, yeah that's maxwell right get smart would have been going i don't know it would have only finished up a few years before yeah. they started that movie right yeah, yeah and there the is a lot of um get smart james bond mm. pink panther influence mm-hmm. there absolutely mm-hmm. those two henchmen the the bad guys that capture natalia and woody in yugoslavia mm. uh, but when when uh woody goes at it with the yeah. cane they're so chaos as far as yeah. agents they're, they're so maxwell smart chaos agents aren't yeah. they they've got that typical there's an accent that chaos agents yeah. used to have yeah and, the, uh, sort of broad yeah. eastern european yeah yeah, yeah. it's like this, this sort of loose it doesn't fit in any any country but it sounds right for the uh, yeah yeah um and also um what's the name of the guy after chrome eye uh morovich Morovich. Morovich. Yeah, don't listen um, to me. He's Dan. very much like Jaws from James Bond, villain, you know, the, the uh, inhuman. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you have the car going into water. Don't forget, this is only a few years after Spy Who Loved Me, um, where a car does that. So there's a whole bunch of, um, I don't know, what's the name? Homages. Homage. Mm-hmm. Oh, across the. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's dappled all the way through it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, is it Disney I, being trying to be safe? Do you think, or was it originally in the game of X? Yeah, maybe it's no, yeah. It's maybe the, the original writer was influenced by all of these flavors, in, in yeah. and then the movie was influenced by the original writer. So who knows? Um, without That's having curious. read it. Um. Anyway, uh, Robert Sheckley, um, he actually got ill in uh, the Ukraine just before he passed away. And he was famous enough that there was a bit of a campaign to raise money to send him back home for treatment. And uh, which I, I, I thought was kind of, I mean, he survived apparently for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, also doesn't say much about um, American health insurance, does it? No. <laughs> um, a quite well-known writer has to have a fund me campaign to get back to the States, but we won't even go there. Mm-hmm. It's particularly at the moment. Um, some uh robert has done some interesting films um in fact according to um good old imdb he's got a film coming out sometime it's been announced called mind swap oh okay there you go so um posthumously um so uh he, he wrote a whole bunch of films, including, interestingly enough, a whole bunch of films in Italy and Hungary. Um, he's in a Hungarian film. Looks like some from my, you know, I can't read Hungarian, but it looks like some sort of almost street fighter-y, hero-y thing. And he actually plays himself. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, worth, that's worth trying to track down. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, well, don't ask me what the name of the film Dappled is. in front of the camera. Because I can't um, read or pronounce hung- Hungarian. Um, but anyway, uh, he's also done um, Free Jack, which is actually um, a film we should actually get on here. It's a 1992 film. Um, it's got Emilio Estevez and Anthony Hopkins. It's not Free Jack. Kind of Free, a, it's not Free Jack City. It's is it Free Jack? Yeah, Free Jack. I've heard that and name before. Let's have a look at that. Keep yeah, going. it's it's kind of a, a early attempt at a cyberpunk type film. Yeah, that's what I remember as well. Look. Yeah, and I think it's even got Mick Jagger in it. <laughs> that's what I remember about it. Yes, Mick Jagger yeah. is in it. Yeah, it's kind of a nineteen ninety two. Um, cyberpunk film. Uh, Bounty hunters from the future transport a doomed race car driver to New York City in 2009 
where his mind will be replaced with that of a dead billionaire. Okay. Yeah. Now we we have to do that film. Well, um, just the very <laughs> fact that the future is two thousand and nine, and we'd yeah. be able to compare it to the one that we <laughs> yeah. experienced. Uh, and uh, that's actually based on a book that, uh, on the novel he wrote called um, Immortality Inc. Okay. Which I th- which I actually heard about. Someone was telling me it's one of those you know sort of drunken conversations you have when you're only paying half attention, and and you. Weeks later, you realised there was actually something worth remembering about it. Um, they were trying to. I think it was the, this novel that Free Jack is based on. Apparently, inspired. Um, what's his name? Oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Uh, Richard Morgan, I think. Then, anyway, the writer who wrote Altered Carbon. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, about putting. Um, your mind into other bodies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. Um, he also wrote, um, yeah, he wrote a whole bunch of science fiction um, scripts for TV series, Tales of t- t- Tomorrow, Armchair Theatre. Um, he did Escape from Hell Island, The Tenth Victim. Um, he did a whole bunch of weird and wonderful um, science fiction TV shows and films. I don't think any of them really ever became big. I think uh, it's safe to say that he probably heavily influenced the genre, though. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, if you look at some of the titles that he's done, and they're so similar or, or yeah. either whether he came before or came after or whatever, yeah. I, it's safe to say that Robert Sheckley had a pretty heavy influence over the science yeah. fiction genre. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm um, considering his first TV series that he wrote for was in 1949. Mm-hmm. And check out the name, and I'm pretty impressed, but this is 1949, right? Captain Video and his Video Rangers. <laughs> oh wow, that's in pretty impressive. Well, yeah. Tom, you're the you're the you're the the intelligent one out of all of us. We're, we're just <laughs> where was video in the timeline of technology on the planet uh, what, in 1949? Oh yeah, well video. television. Well, I know television didn't hit us until 1956 in Australia, mm. and uh, video as a video as came. a magnetic medium. What video would he have even meant by video back then in 1949? No, video. Did he actually mean videos we know it, or was it the just... Tech, yeah. Is it an acronym? Some, is video an acronym no. for something? No, it's just is a video it I see, which is Latin. No, it means it's yeah. Latin, Latin for I see. See, this is what I mean. Tom's yeah, way Captain, smarter than yeah. most of us. <laughs> <laughs> no? uh, tape, yeah. When is videotape invented? I think you're onto something there, Rick. I think, uh, I think that title almost predates what I would know as video, as a medium. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So therefore, maybe he influenced the very name, video. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it wasn't developed until the 1950s. It says here that uh, September 1981, he was named Author Emeritus by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America in in 2001. What's that as a title? Have you heard of that before as a writer? Um, author emeritus is that uh, some sort of uh, uh, award that they like, give away? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a, my understanding is kind of like a hall of fame. That's impressive. Like you, can, like you will always be because um, an emeritus professor, someone who kind of who's so accomplished, they can they basically even though they're retired, they allow them to go back. Um, but he at that stage wouldn't have been retired at all. Mm. So I, I think my understanding of it, and I've heard it before, I think it's just kind of like a Hall of Fame. He's now like one of the permanent gods of the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, he's quite an established guy, you know, despite the fact that his films, there's no, you know, there's no Star Wars in there, there's nothing humongous. Mm-hmm. But he's been, you know, he's been at it, he's been at all the sort of, all the things that influenced other, the big stuff, mm-hmm. if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so there you go. Um, so, and I, I did mention that's right that he was a Hugo Award-winning character. Um, in reading his bio, his bio quickly, I think he went through four marriages, lived all over the world, 
uh, probably trying to get away from his ex-wives, I suspect. And like I said, he did, did films all over um, Europe. So well done, Robert. Robert Sheckley. Uh, it's it's yeah. um it would make for an interesting film. I think if somebody created a bio, a biopic of this guy's life, it would be pretty interesting. Just because of the period that he was yeah. at his prime, is such an interesting period in time. Yeah, for sci- he does have, for sci-fi. He, there is a, a website dedicated to him. There is an official Robert um, Sheckley website. Oh, cool. Mind you, it, it looks like it was made um, in two thousand and one. The uh, website. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> RobertSheckley.com or Sheckley.com. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But there's some interviews with him that had I been more prepared, I would have actually watched some of the interviews and seen what what he had to say. We should throw some of these links into the uh, into the show notes on YouTube and, yeah, um, a, and for the podcast. That's a bonzer. Yeah, we'll that's put them on the website. Idea. I'll definitely put them on the website on um, voyageofthegeek.com where we house our audio versions of the podcast and links to the v- YouTube video. But definitely I'll um, I'll put some links in there because it looks like there's a heap of, um, heap of videos on that site, uh, YouTube-hosted videos that we can put links to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's he wrote a whole bunch of novels. Um, some of them, some very interesting names. Um, one he wrote with Harry Harrison in 1990 cool. called Bill the Galactic Hero on the Planet of Bottled Brains. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the Alchemical Marriage of Alistair Crompton. I'm just picking out some of the interesting names. Um, Journey Beyond Tomorrow. Oh, Journey Beyond Anything is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Dimension of Miracles. Journey Beyond Time. Um, the world. Where's, where's the other one I saw that was looked really cool? Um, he's, some of his names oh. are awesome. So some of the some of his uh, names of his books are pretty cool. Pilgrimage to Earth. It, yeah, and <laughs> interestingly enough, there's credits on wikipedia that aren't in um, imbd which i find a little weird like he's um star trek deep space nine the laotian gamble ah uh, that must be because it's a novel it's not a um show it's actually a, it's not a screenplay or something yeah it's actually a novel of the show you know how I got, yeah. all the shows have their own because beck used to buy all the star trek next generation novels and many of yeah. them and many of them were story when novels that had nothing to do with the shit like the, that never happened in the show. Yep, this is their own thing. So Star he's a few Babylon is, uh, Five. Star Wars is similar. There's a lot of novel yeah. novelization yeah. where it's completely separate. It's supposed to be in the same law though, but yeah, yeah. standard. Um, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Babylon Five. Alien. So hang on, he's, he's writing books. Yeah, these. Yeah, these, well, he's pretty prolific. IPs. Yeah, I. I'm, I'm just looking. I was just intrigued by Captain Video and his video ranges. Yeah, what do you um, got? That started in 1949, and he must have been 2025 when he got that gig. Yeah. So he's that was his first gig. Just in, just think, yeah, that was his first like TV writing gig. So he's like 25 years old and he's writing stories for the for this. Incidentally, that Captain Video and his video ranges. It says here. They estimate there was a total of 1,500 episodes. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. What? Like a Doctor Who 1,537 episodes. Are they, are they 10 minutes long? Uh, I don't know how long they are. No, wow. Captain Kangaroo has that many. That is crazy. Good for you. That's, that's like, you know, yeah, 30 minute, uh, a separate 30 minute. Yeah, well, anyway. That's bizarre. That's that's pretty big, right? There that amounts to a of lot of viewing time, yeah. That must have been a lot of people who were like right into that mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah. anyway. That's, that's pretty impressive. Well, that probably um, set him up for life. He probably spent most yeah. of his life quite comfortable because uh, even by that time, writers were recognised as a very important part of the the process and were mm-hmm. rewarded accordingly. Um, if there's one, and Rick, you'll attest to this, if there's one vocation um, that rewards well in entertainment, whether it's music or film or television, 
it's the writing because copyright you know how copyright works on multiple layers mm. music's a great way to understand it where um uh, taylor swift goes into a studio and she records a top 10 hit well copyright exists for the producer the guy behind the actual desk that twiddles the knobs the production company the writer the performer so taylor swift um the musicians that are in the band that play the music on, on the record everybody gets copyright of 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 that uh, recording right um the person not the, the well no in that instance um yeah but not taylor so, swift not if she doesn't write yeah. the film if she, if she yeah. doesn't write the um, the music, she's the person out of all of those people that gets paid the least. Yeah, the writer is the one that actually gets paid Straits. forever. Every time that uh, that song gets covered, they're supposed yeah. to get Un money. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, well, that sucks. Yes, um, you can create a whole bunch of things, mm. but if the IP is owned by someone else, uh, a company. Well, the, that's the, the contract station. between the writer and the intellectual property owner, isn't it? Yeah, and that's and that's the normal state mm -hmm. of things. Like I've created Star Wars characters. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, really? Yeah. If if you look up, um, oh, Boomer in Wikipedia, and I think I've talked about it before. I, I created a clone trip of Boomer, um, and your serial number because you can't put your signature on anything. Star Wars, anything you create for Star Wars belongs to Star Wars. Yep. So the only way I could put my name to Boomer was to make his serial number my birthday. Because <laughs> uh, I discovered all troopers from the 501st Legion, their serial numbers all start with two. Nice. My birthday starts with two, and I thought... 2207. Yep, yeah, 2207. <laughs> I love that shit. I love uh, it. I I expect to get a phone call from George Lucas's or Disney's lawyers now. Yeah. But uh, yes, not at all. I think that's safe. You can, you can, um, you got away with that. I think. But uh, and, I, and I created a few other smaller characters, Sarge, Sergeant Kano and Rookie and Switch. Yep. Now, but I think that make... ultimately that comes down to um, you signed a contract with Disney, yeah, with with whoever Lucas or Disney, yeah. um, and in that contract it said that you literally sign over. Um, and that's and that's and that's the the, the normal. Yeah. Like, well, it is now, but it wasn't. Um, it, it sort of changed drastically through the nineties. But before that, um, if you if you wrote something, um, who created a whole bunch of characters from the, in the Teen Titans, Blade, um, characters from the House of Mystery. Oh yeah. He doesn't get any money for those. Marvel or DC owns that's them. that's bad contract negotiation. Because there are some really fat, rich writers in Hollywood, mate, that, that literally yeah. live off the royalty checks of something they wrote 48 years ago. But, but that's that's the exception to the rule. When you write... Oh, really? When you're writing an IP, when you're writing for an existing IP... Oh, okay. You can create something for that IP, I got but you'll you. never get money for it. I got you. Yeah, yeah. That's because uh, they got bigger lawyers. Yeah, so you can create a brand new character, a brand new whatever... Uh, <laughs> That's part of an existing IP. Mm -hmm. um, you don't own it. Yeah. They do. Yeah. You got paid to create that by that company. Yep. You've already been paid. Um, so who knows? Um, if you create the IP and it's not owned by anyone, then you're laughing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, unless that's the case, yep. so writers. It's actually a pretty hard gig. You end up creating the stuff that everyone watches and loves and buys the lunch boxes and the T-shirts yep. and the figures and gets made 20 million films mm -hmm. and you won't get a cent of it. Or a thousand uh, episodes like uh, our yeah. mate, our mate uh, Sheckley, because, yeah. it, because it was original work, he, he might have owned uh, quite a big chunk of that uh, success. Huh? Maybe. Or, or the TV station that mm. commissioned him. He may have been commissioned, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, um, right, for the writers, it sucks. So, to all my writers, brethren out there, it's all to you. Um, anyway, now that I've just did discourage thousands of people going, well, that's it, I'm not being a fucking writer now. Um, just create your own IP. Um, anyway, uh, now you've, mate, now you've, 
discombobulated me completely. I tend to do Where that we to you, Rick. I think it's... Uh, well, if we talked about the Condor Man comics. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a comic that um, it got made into a comic that uh, Marvel put, put out. Uh, Marvel, pretty much during the 80s and 90s, maybe even the 70s, they were like super-duper proactive that there's a film coming out, we got the rights to make comic for it. Um, they were very good at that. That was a thing that they did. Um, and uh, it didn't matter if who the who else might be connected to it, Marvel were just super at snapping that stuff up. So you'll find a lot of the movie adaptations um, in the 80s and 90s uh, surprisingly, Marvel. Oh, really? And Condor Man is a great example of this. And there's talk comic- about, about it these days that because Disney now owns both, mm. Condor Man and Marvel, uh, those those voices out there that, that say that they should be um, added into the MCU. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting, yeah. Could also could, talk about a remake, which would yeah, maybe I was about be a to good ask, idea. Could we see a, a modern day? Would this character yeah. work in the modern day without the KGB? Um, could, could we see might, a, a, a yeah. 2021 uh, Condor Man? I'm, I mean, I'm thinking of the Shazam film. Mm. You know, we've got that kid that's the now a grown up superhero, and he's a bit of a, a schmuck. Mm. Mm. Uh, I think if I someone's going to pull it off, it'd be Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they could probably um, pull it off. I don't know who the villains. There'll be some, probably some arch, you know, a spectre. Yeah, I suspect. Yeah, um, some secret think, society. Yeah, I think they'll avoid, um, you know, too many baddies. Or at most, it'll be some, you know, disfranchised rogue ex KGB. Yeah. You know, who are no longer part of Russia, you know, that sort of thing. Yep. They probably can't take it too seriously like the Shazam. They'd have to do a bit of a tongue-in-cheek yeah. version of it. It'd be, yeah, it, exactly. it'd be good comedy, wouldn't it, if, if you really... Because yeah. this film wasn't a comedy. <clears throat> it was really supposed to take itself quite seriously. Am I right in thinking that? Was it? No. no I, I think it was a spoof. Really? Yeah, it was a spoof. You think it was yeah. a spoof? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, they took it seriously. I think they tried to do a genuine superhero film. No, um, there's I, two. There's like two the plot comments. is all about a clumsy Sorry, character, is. right? The, the plot is all about a clumsy character, but realistically, it's set against uh, Porsches chasing people through the mountains. But there is explosions and people die in this film. Um, I would it's put not it in a comedy. the same category as the Pink Panther movies, which are designed to be spoofs of, I think, mysteries and detective films. Hmm. Yeah, now that you say the Pink Panther, I think there is some similarities there. It's not as far mm. as the Pink Panther, but you're right. There is yeah. some deliberate... And the uh, Henry Mancini connection. Yeah, there is. Soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's it about the writers. As far as the writing's concerned, yeah. Um, I don't know if... Um, what's his name? Mark Sturz. What's his name? Sturdivant? Um you know, wrote it at different periods and forgot what he'd written before or it was the way that it was directed. But there's a thing where you've got um, Harry, who's the, you know, CIA operative with his crazy, eccentric, clumsy cartoonist friend who, you know, makes a fool of himself, turn, you know, turns up dressed up um, like, you know, Boris from, Bor- from Bullwinkle at the train station. Um, and, and you kind of said, okay, there's a serious CIA agent and there's his, you know, crazy friend. And then halfway through the film, Harry becomes the bungling, clumsy, funny yeah, idiot. Yeah. And, and Woody's uh, the, the straight. And Woody's the yeah. serious, straight, hardcore. And I'm like, That's right. wait a minute. What happened there? That's right. Um, Harry doesn't like heights. He has to cuddle Woody on the, yeah. uh, on the cable car and, thing. And, and it's no longer Harry telling the civilian idiot who doesn't know anything what to do. Mm-hmm. He, it's Woody now telling Harry exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to go down, making all the decisions, mm. initiating everything. Uh, and from a writing point of view, that's shite. Um, mm. So like just, just elaborate on that a bit. I want to. I've often wondered, like um, when you when you do your uh, the lost sofa looks at a film. 
you're sitting there watching this film. Um, what's the, what are the main things that you would do different to this plot? What are the standout where you're looking at this as a writer and you say, that's a, probably a turn I wouldn't have taken. What are some of the main yeah. ones? Um, well, one is that the character swap. Okay. Um, that has to be consistent. I know characters have an arc and they develop and evolve, mm-hmm. you know, part of the hero's journey. Um, and that would possibly be that swap I would do right at the end to show what he's, he's learned. Yep. And, but I wouldn't make Harry a bungling idiot because the guy's, he hasn't been lobotomized. Mm-hmm. You know, if we saw him get lobotomized during the film, okay. Yeah. I would probably have Harry make a bad decision or be in trouble. Yeah. And Woody has to step up to save his friends. That yeah. would have been a good arc. He has to step up to save Natalia and his friend. Yeah. But the smart guy he, can't, can't become the dumbass at the click no, of the finger like that. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, and, and I don't think he should ever become the dumbass. He might need saving, which would be good, which would force Woody to um, put on the, the big boy pants and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and maybe realise that he can be Condor Man even without all the gadgets. That would be a lovely arc. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have done something like that. Um, tried not to have so many, uh, and especially it's a film, it's a spoof, but there's a lot of, I wouldn't even call it hand-waving, just plot holes that you could put you know entire galaxies through like you know they make stuff in a few days mm, yeah like i wouldn't labor on it but i would kind of talk about okay you know that's going to take a while you know something about you know we'll have people work around the clock but you know it's not going to happen overnight something yeah. to acknowledge that this is going to take time just a few little throwaway lines like like that just to kind of hand wave some of those weird things just, I think uh, the plot as a whole was just too complicated. They should have had something yeah. simple like, they, you know, Natalia's stolen a diamond and they have to get it back to the crown jewels in the Tower of London for the Queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? She's got the diamond in her pocket and they just have to run across the with a diamond and put it in the Tower of London, job done. Yeah. You know, everybody could follow that. It's very simple. Kids understand, yeah. you know. And and, I mean, we even the fact the that... Chases. That he, you know, she's a baddie. I, I think it would have been okay. She's a baddie. He meets a baddie. She wants to but defect. Turns out, but turns out the baddie gets mistreated by people even badder than her. Yep. So we have a, a bit of sympathy for her. Yep. She only trusts him. And that's fine that she thinks he's this brave agent, but he's actually an idiot. And Which, that's the point where it's it's yeah. nice and smooth. And then it gets complex yeah. after that. And then it, it gets complex because then, then, then it sets up a sitcom situation where the defecting person, and especially you have to put stakes. The film never had stakes. Mm-hmm. She must know some amazing stuff about the Soviet Union, and by defecting, you know, she'll be helping the USA. So, you know, there's <laughs> high stakes in it. Yep. And so he can't allow, you know, he has to hide the fact he's a bumbling idiot, and his friend has to hide the fact he's a bumbling idiot, or it'll all go wrong, uh, not the f- plus the fact they're actually being chased. Mm. Put some high stakes. He has to hide the fact he's an amateur and not for real. Um, and he does well, – and then typical rom-com, he gets caught out, has to redeem himself, mm-hmm. um, has to re- has to put on the big, big boy pants, rescue his friend and her, and he succeeds, and they go back to the U.S. and eat hot dogs and stuff. End of story, you know? Mm. There wasn't uh, a lot of tension in it either. Did no. it didn't ramp up yeah. the tension. There was never you know? anything at stake. Mm. Like there's yeah. going to be something at stake. It would have been like you could imagine if they had like a ticking time bomb yeah. somewhere yeah. in the movie and they had to do something to stop it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like like she needs to, to tell the Americans about some mm. missile code or something, you know, but before, the, you know, the KGB or something mm-hmm. unleashed this thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. There had to be some stakes. There was nothing at stake, mm. um, really. So, um, yeah, all the kind of um, mm. the important big cogs that are, are required for a story like this, they just weren't there. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, when we watch a I, film, Rick, as like art, like visual effects artists, when we watch a mm. film, certain films inspire us, others in frustrate us, right? As mm. a writer, when you watch a film like this, um, just as we wrap up, right? As a writer, when you watch a film like this, 
do you have to put that to the side to to be able to sort of enjoy it? Do you have to sort of remove yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I just because we tend to have to do <laughs> do that as well. I know that, yeah. and it's not often easy um, when you look at some stuff and go, oh, "Come on, spend a couple of extra dollars, and you would have had exactly what you needed there." So, from a writing perspective, is it easy to do that? Um, to to sort because of, you understand plot, you understand character development, story arc, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, it must be difficult sometimes to maybe step out. Uh, yeah, it is, and and uh, I always joke that it's probably uh, with people when we talk about this. I could probably do it easier if I was a really rich, famous, successful writer because I could just go, oh well, yeah. my films are better. Yeah, but you know, when you're just a, a schlep, it's like the money and resources you guys pissed up against the wall. <laughs> it just frustrates <laughs> you all the more. Yeah. It's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, if someone gave me half that budget, you know, yeah. what I could do with it. Oh, well, that's identical yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to to visual effects and animation. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly how we feel. All right. Yeah. Awesome. So, and uh, are you happy to um, sign off for another awesome episode oh, yes. of The Lost Sofa for the week? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get sad now about Condor Man, so it's probably time. <laughs> awesome. And another awesome episode of The Lost Sofa for uh, Rick Legato. never get tired of the uh, the outro music the intro music for Tom's, yeah. uh, for for Rick's uh, session and that was a la Dan wasn't it it was it's a bit of dance magic um, inspired by the Bee Gees there um, the falsetto uh, nature of uh, uh, the uh, uh, the lost sofa so let's jump straight into uh, our next session with uh, Tom McGill who loves to really get behind the scenes and expose uh, just the tip. So this is the the trivia section, which I where I try to find out information about the uh, the characters or behind the scene, behind behind the actors, or about the special effects, anything that's sort of interesting. This film was made in the early '80s, just after we had successes with Superman for special effects, for example. Um, so we're comparing it to other films in that timeline, and special effects aren't that good, I think. Um, compared to these. So, not much to mention there. We have a, a condor guy on a crane. We have some blue screen stuff. As Dave mentioned in part one, the, the flames coming out of the mouth. Are you saying that he didn't best. fly for real? <laughs> if he could if he could have sailed and he could have just spread out his wings and glided, it might have been a bit more believable. Just destroy sort of dreams. Slow, I'm so, pretty sure. Pretty sure you can see the wire as well. Yeah, you can. Um, my yeah. eight-year-old <laughs> this morning saw the wire, <laughs> and she'd never seen. Yeah, my eight-year-old has grown up in a world of Marvel movies and Iron Man and all the rest of it. She looked at this thing this morning. She said, "What the hell is going on there?" <laughs> she couldn't understand what she was looking at. She no, literally just no, saw a guy dangling from a wire. <laughs> there, are, there are a few interesting bits of the making of the film. For example, that um, that the main actor almost drowned in the shot where they drop him into the Seine. That's so right. he jumps off the Eiffel Tower and he falls into the water and they could just, he was sort of stuck under those wings and they just pulled him out and the rescue swimmer had to come in and pull him out and he wanted to do the shot, the take again. Because um, he was famous for always doing his own stunts. So yeah. the British show, some others do have him, which I was not aware of until I looked up Woody, Woody Woodman. Have you seen an episode yet? Have you I've seen, seen two episodes by now. It's, uh, yes. it's pretty like full it? on. Some of the stuff he got up to as a physical actor. Um, I, I think I want to see more, more shows because of that, because of the slapstick, yeah. because of the stunts. It's crazy. Like he would literally go, he would, he would go through a fake brick wall at 60 kilometers an hour on the top of a car mm. and stuff like that. And yeah, it was yeah. the real guy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen him going down roller skates, and, roller skates yeah. down the down the stairs yeah. onto a driving bus. Yeah, yeah holds onto yeah. the driving bus with the roller skates. So amazing stuff, and probably one of the reasons that Michael Crawford was considered for the role because mm. he has to. You know, he he, fl- he he what was the the sentence? He flies, he death defies. <laughs> yeah. He spies, he flies, he death defies. They had to have somebody who just wasn't was unkillable. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't be shot down from a a jet jet ski in the Alps, fall three hundred meters down into the snow, and just like Wiley Coyote, mm-hmm. make a little pattern in the snow of him of his body, and then get up again. So he, he cannot be killed. That's his superpower. That is his superpower. He's unkillable. But anyway, they, they didn't let him. Right? They didn't let the actor do the. They didn't let Michael Crawford do the stunt again. And they, what you see in the film, then the one that actually made it into the movie was a stunt double. With the fall, yeah. you mean for the mm-hmm. fall? It was a fall into the scene. So well, after I that, put, did I put it to you that, oh. that the shot that we saw in okay. the film might have been a dummy, <laughs> like <laughs> that cartwheeling. <laughs> It was, it was a very stiff starfish looking thing falling out of the uh, out of the sky for that um, no, snow I'm, angel thing. That was a puppet. That was a okay. yeah. That was a horrible, horrible puppet. Okay. Now I'm talking about the the condo wings when oh, he's yes. flying off the Eiffel Tower yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. and face plants into the river. Oh, okay, yes. that takes oh, so a bit of the magic it? away from me. So they they basically said, hey, look, let's get Michael Crawford. He's really good at physical comedy. He and can he, do his own stunts. And he did they it, nearly drowned, the and then same. they got another guy. <laughs> they said that, yeah, no, they got another guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they put a trained stuntman in his place, and they filmed it. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know which take ended up in the film. That might be Michael Crawford there. But I think they refilmed it with a stunt double. So, mm-hmm. Well, I, I know they refilmed it with a stunt double, and I would assume that that's what they put in the film. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that that was that was nice to find on the trivia pages was um, what Dave alluded to earlier. When after when, when they're in the Alps and after they have unceremoniously dispatched Woody and Harry, uh, Natalia gets taken into the helicopter, and uh, Oliver Reed, who is a notoriously difficult actor to to play with. He will, you know, throw tantrums on stage and do what he wants and plays, as we said, plays, plays probably just himself. He figured that um, Barbara Carrera's reaction or sadness or fear wasn't played out strongly enough in the helicopter. So he opened the door and sort of pushed her out <laughs> by the head. You can see her <laughs> grab the head and push her. Yeah. He's being pretty brutal with her in that shot. Yeah. And she got upset and elbows him in 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 the in the in the, it's in uh, the chest, film. and that was yeah. all. That was all. That's in the film, and that's all real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Similar to what we had when we when we reviewed the um, journey to the center of the earth, when when the woman is on the on the raft. That's right. And the actress shows genuine fear because she's afraid that she might uh, fall off the thing. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. So Oliver Reed also had uh, one segment where he took his tuxedo and had some dis, uh, disgruntled uh, grievances with with the, with the staff, and he took his tuxedo and threw it into <laughs> the ocean. That's right. That's right. Threw and it into the, the bay. morning. Yeah. 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 The next morning, uh, one of the costume people had to row out in a little boat and f- fish it out again mm-hmm. because they figured it would be cheaper to just clean that suit and give it back to him. <laughs> But the thing that really I, I, I found flabbergasting and sort of in, interesting in this particular film is the timeline. The, yeah. they had, they're always in a rush. They need to defect. She, she wants to um, get the papers. All the bad um, guys that's are happening in two days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but even the, even the, the defection, they, 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 they want that immediately done, yet they have to come up with all the, um, with all the different tools that uh, that Woody wants to have. So I thought about a um, a timeline. Yeah, and we're going to splice this to in too. Out. So as you That's discuss idea, this, yeah. we'll, we'll splice it in so people at home can sort of follow it. Go can ahead. Sort of, sort of follow along what, what I want to do. But essentially, we're starting on day one where he falls into the Seine and uh, Harry, Harry uh, recruits him. That all happens on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the boss, uh, Ross, Ross, Diana Ross, Ross, he <laughs> is away for two days, right? So he says, I have to be away. I'm coming back in two days. Right. Uh, you look after the Istanbul thing. 
and, and Harry says, oh, well, the Istanbul happen, thing happens happens uh, day after tomorrow, mm-hmm. which also means two days, right? Yep. So on day one, they on, on day three, essentially, two days later, they have to be in Istanbul. Now, Woody, I looked up the, the, the train from Paris to Istanbul. <laughs> of course you did, because I would have. <laughs> <laughs> it takes two days <laughs> to get from from Paris to Istanbul by train. Yep. So essentially, the, the 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 time when he's sitting on the uh, in Paris at the at the railroad station in the trench coat with a hat and the sunglasses, that's the evening of, of when he, same day as when he, he goes in the river. The, <laughs> the river, yeah. it's the same day. He just Harry calls him and says, "You got to go." He and 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 Woody goes, "Sure, uh, grab some trench coat, gets gets." Into a taxi immediately. Yep. <laughs> and spends two days on uh, going on to a Istanbul. Train. Yep. On a train. Does the thing. Uh, and after the thing happens, uh, Natalia, the next shot is she arrives back in Moscow, and that also takes two days. So while he's traveling back in. from Istanbul, which while he's traveling take two back. Days, yep. So she's back in Moscow, and um, there we have the next timeline hint where Krokov talks about the upcoming meeting of the oil ministers in Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's yeah. coming up. So the thing that we see at the very, very, very end of the film is already in game and it's not far away because he says, well, I'm angry at you and you're not going. So, you know, it's not far away. We don't know how far away it is. And then essentially the next thing that we see is when we hear that Natalia wants to defect. Now, that could have been weeks. There could be months in between. There could have been a long time. But I don't think it is a long time because A, the oil minister meeting is already on the agenda, mm-hmm. and also um, Woody is still painting Condor Man. Yep. Yep. And he has finished it now. So and he Natalia hasn't, wants he to hasn't debuted those characters. He hasn't debuted those characters. Go, yeah. he, he says Condor Man and Laser Lady debuts next week. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have seven days before that comic comes out. Okay. So on one day they want to recruit him. He says, yes, I'll do it, but only when I get to do the gadgets. And then the next shot we see is uh, Diana Ross looks through all the gadgets, the the drawings. Bloody Woody has drawn his entire plan on a sheet of paper. There's drawings of the gypsy wagon. There's even drawings of Natalia behind rocks uh, uh, wearing the costume. There's drawings of of the boats. Everything has been planned out in comic book form. And... Okay, he's in a rush, and there's like three, three or four pages, full pages of comic book, which Woody could easily do in 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 one evening, I guess, mm-hmm. being experienced. So let's say it's the next day because they're on a rush. So on day two of this new new segment, Woody uh, has sketched everything. Russ Russ Devlin approves it and says, "Get fabrication onto it. I want you there yesterday." Yeah, that's right. They're in a really, really, really mad rush. And the next mm-hmm. shot is Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in that immense rush that they were in so what they did in in that time they had to create uh, so fabrication essentially mm. had to create one redneck cane yep that shoots machine guns and a lot of bullets a, a lot of bullets <laughs> 800 bullets yeah. with an invisible magazine that's it. Car, that's it three jet rods that go up the alps <laughs> yep. and a sterling nova with a ramp laser guns yep. flamethrower and it can convert into a boat yep. and has all these tiny little buttons and everything in there yeah and in that amount and of they, time they might have done the gypsy van that's probably it they might have been able to get that but instead they got yes, all that done they, yep they got all that done well that's what happens when you don't when you don't have any unions you just exploit <laughs> your workers it's america yeah <laughs> At least the Sterling Nova had a pop-up roof, so they didn't have to convert that. So in order to get from the van into the car, they go just elevator down. Mm-hmm. That that Sterling Nova had the capacity that the roof would just pop up in order to get into the car anyway. So yeah. there's one modification they didn't need to do. So we're now in Yugoslavia, and we don't know how much time has passed now to get us to Yugoslavia. All we know is that they wanted them there yesterday. Mm-hmm. So in that one day in Yugoslavia, they free the girl, they have the car chase, they speed up with the boat over the ocean, yep. and they mm-hmm. arrive in Italy in the evening and go to bed in Italy. Mm-hmm. So we have that day. Now the next day, they get arrested by the police. They get rescued by Harry. They end up at some point at the Italian-Swiss border where all the kids have the comic book. So there's the hint, because comic book was going to debut in a week's time so at the very very least now between yugoslavia and italy and recruiting and getting 
getting a fabrication to build the things, at the very least, there would have been, you know, five, six days in between. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at least we're now on day seven or something, seven or more, because there's no way, no way in hell that a, a comic store in Italy has the comic on the same day that it debuts in America. Let <laughs> alone some it's village usually, up in the mountains. Like I was in, I was, I was, I was traveling in Greece in 1992 and the comics that I bought there just for fun because I was a big X-Men fan at the time reading lots of the X-Men comics. I was buying the X-Men comics in Greece for shits and giggles that were then coming into the store and they were from 1979. <laughs> I'm there in 1992. So we had translated them and they were 13 years behind the thing. Anyway, so if we say Italy, Northern Italy really loves American comics and all the kids rush to it, let's say at the very, very least, we're now seven, seven, seven days into the story. But that's still insane. That, that means uh, um, fabrication would have had three, four, five, six. They would have had four days to build the cane, the gypsy van, the wreck, everything. Yeah. And they've got to transport it from wherever and they, they made it. That's right. That's right. right. Couldn't they have taken longer? What stops them from taking longer yes. in your time? The only thing that stops me from t getting taking longer is the, uh, the oil minister's meeting in Monte Carlo. What about how already, long it took her to... That, that could have been oh, no. a month ahead. Could be in a month. Yeah. It could be a month or two. Mm, you know, we know, we know about meetings we have in about two months, one mm. month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could be a month away. It could be two months away. Mm. But still, we are talking about insane fabrication time there yes. for for a, a jet-powered laser-shooting drive boat-driving car. <laughs> Who knows if they tested it well, or the wouldn't big, they train to use it? The big I don't know. Like when Russ says, "I want you there yesterday." Mm -hmm. That would indicate. That's why I'm trying to keep it tight. That's quick, why I'm trying to keep it as tight as possible. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's no indication in the story that this is all happening at a relaxed pace and no. they're chilling out no, in Italy no, for no, two no, weeks. No, they're on, they're on yeah, a rush. No. <laughs> they're on a rush. And the comic, um, just because the comic is in Italy already, that's that's why I'm giving them the leeway of four days mm. for the fabrication. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's too early for the comic to have come out. Yep. Yep. Anyway, that's the biggest problem in the story with the, with the timeline. The rest is pretty straightforward. They have uh, they spend the night in Italy. They go to the border to Switzerland. They uh, take their jet rods up the jet rods up the Matterhorn. Mm -hmm. uh, the puppets die, and uh, Harry says, "Well, because the the, the whole um, show gets cancelled by the CIA, and they're supposed to go to Paris." Harry asks for two days. I want two days to save her. Oh, yep. okay. Right? Yep. 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 That's right. So now he has two days to 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 do organize. Now, what does he have to organize yeah, yeah. in those, those two days? Well, let me right. put something that you might not have considered. You might have, but when he walks out of the casino at Monte Carlo, there are seventeen guys in fake beards and mustaches that walk out with briefcases full of money. Right? Imagine mm -hmm. what has to happen in order for him to break the bank at the casino at Monte Carlo and have 17 extras, like CIA guys, to walk out behind him with with cases full of money. Like, he legitimately worse, broke the bank. Before he does that, he has to invent a backstory That's for right. his character because the bad guys look him up. Exactly. There's, a, there's an existing backstory for him already. <laughs> so he sets all that up. Yeah. It makes you feel like uh, maybe Mickey, Mickey Mouse sort of wandered into the writer's room. <laughs> so, no, we he gets the I'm a mouse with pants and I can sing. He gets the wings <laughs> to Monte Carlo. Mickey Mouse. He makes the background identity for the Arab persona. He gets all the explosives organized. Yep. He organizes a speedboat with laser turrets <laughs> and matching uniforms and helmets. Yep. And the bloody helicopter, which is probably the easiest thing to get sorted out, which they don't make enough use of. Yeah. And it's the so all of that. It's little details like the matching uh, uh, uniforms and helmets and um, wetsuit, uh, uh, life vests, and stuff like that. That yeah. not only did they have enough time to do it, they had enough time to do it so that it all matched, Tom. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about, it, he says, "Give me two days. It's two days to save Natalia, right?" He saves Natalia on the second day. The casino thing is a day before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So essentially, he's on 
day eight saying, give me two days. On day nine, he's dressed up as an Arab in the casino <laughs> cleaning it out. I'm starting to see problems. <laughs> and on day 10, he saves the girl and uh, end of film. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see so, some problems here in the linear yeah, nature I, of the it, script. It didn't <laughs> I thought it was interesting for this particular film to uh, analyze that anyway, in the lack of any other trivia. Yeah, I like that. Remember also that the bad guys have a similar sort of timeline and 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 bunch of stuff happening in parallel alongside because they're shipping black speedboats oh, yeah. from one port to another port. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not and, just that, Dan. Their top four drivers of the Broknovich got uh, incinerated up on a mountain three or four days earlier, and now they have to go out and find another four drivers for the, the Broknovich Water Division <laughs> to be ready well, in the harbour. Well, here's harbor. my theory. <laughs> the reserves. Yeah, yeah. because that little sleepy village in Yugoslavia recognizes the Broknovich, whatever, Broknovich. by the sound of their cars when they're three miles away. The whole town goes silent. They hear the mm -hmm. cars and they see that could only be the Broknovich. Yeah. So my theory is the KGB has a, a crack team of, of dedicated killers in pretty much five kilometer Everywhere. intervals all yeah, over yeah, europe yeah. that's <laughs> and right they just activate that little cell and they're all called the broknovich <laughs> they're all sitting there with them either if they're on water they have boats if they're on land they have cars they're probably black plane ones and yeah. parachutists nice. well, probably actually you know they're not all guys. They're like little old ladies and they're farmers <laughs> and whatever. They just put on the helmets yeah, when they're activated. Right. Yeah. They're the and stig. then they become the, the – yeah, the stig. They become the stig novich. Maybe the CIA and, has uh, the same thing and the two old ladies in the church that are fighting are maybe a CIA yeah, agent and a KGB yeah. agent who recognize them That's as it. each other. <laughs> they flash them the secret symbols <laughs> with their hands. Love it. Anyway, that's my segment. Awesome, Tom. Uh, another fantastic episode of uh, Just the Tip. Another great episode of Just the Tip. Uh, that's it for another episode of. Uh, Voyage of the Geek, episode two of our deep dive into the classic 1981 hero uh, genre film from the Walt Disney. Uh, is it Walt Disney Studios at that time? I think it is. It's Buena Vista, isn't it? Buena Vista. We'll, we'll get to that in my segment. I've got a bit of a trick question about that. But um, is Walt – I think it's the – it's. Well, well, we'll discuss it in the next episode. But for now, uh, that's it for another episode of Voyage of the Geek. Until next time, it's bye for me. Bye-bye. And bye for oh. me.